is from Matthew 9.35 to Matthew 10.8. I'll start reading now. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Thanks, Stephanie. Well, as I mentioned earlier, we are beginning our series in looking at our vision statement. And uh, the thing about a vision statement is it's meant to be aspirational about the, what the church wants to be. And so you'll notice it's aspirational. That means we may not quite be that yet. We have aspects of it. I think we do well in some of it, but perhaps we're not all of it yet. And that's why it's aspirational. And there's a good reason that the vision statement, I'm sorry for this side of the church that can't see it, is on a banner and not just in a booklet in my office. Uh, it's the re- because we have to keep being reminded of it. If we want to become something, we have to remind ourselves that, oh yeah, that's who we are meant to become. Uh, if it's in the drawer of my office, I just keep looking at it going, why aren't people like that? But you don't even know what's going on. So this is our vision statement. This is, as a community, uh, what we're going to be. And you'll also notice that it's only 12 words. And I've been very generous because all the studies say that anything more than 13 words, people can't remember. So I've given you an extra word uh, discount so you can uh, memorise it. So let's just remind ourselves what our vision statement is. It's a caring, intergenerational community following Jesus and impacting people with his love. And over the next five weeks, we're going to look at five elements of that. Today, we're going to look at caring. Why have we got caring in there? Uh, Next week, intergenerational, then we'll look at community, we'll look at followers of Jesus, and we'll look at impacting uh, people with Christ's love. Now, the thing about a vision statement, it's pretty easy to read. There shouldn't be any words which people don't understand. You'll notice you don't need a theological degree to be able to understand that. But at the same time, it should be full and fat so you can bring it deeper and deeper. And that's really what we're going to do over the next five weeks. Just try to give it a bit more meat for you to understand uh, what it's about. So let me pray 
And, uh, and we're going to have a look at this passage that Stephanie read for us as we consider why we wish to be caring people. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you we come to it knowing it is your word. That through your Holy Spirit it is inspired. It is the word of God and we can come with full confidence knowing that you speak to us powerfully through it. Father God, we pray now that you'll convict us where we need to uh, consider how to be better at being caring, but not just internally, Lord, but externally, that we can go into our community and reflect the love of Christ. Father God, as we open your word now, please be with us and help us to be faithful and now guide us with your Holy Spirit. And we pray all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on the 2nd of July, 1865, in London, uh, a Methodist minister and his wife began preaching uh, to the disadvantaged, the underprivileged and the poor in London. Within two years of their ministry, uh, they were offering basic schooling, uh, reading rooms, penny banks, soup kitchens and relief for the destitute. The ministry's geographic impact started expanding and they moved uh, into other areas of England and eventually they moved uh, out into the world. And the ministry of this couple, through preaching the gospel and the practical support that flows out of the gospel, was really their compassion for both the spiritual and the physical needs of those who were disadvantaged. See, they knew the love of Christ and the impact that it had on their life and they wanted to bring that to the world. In around 1880, uh, it had spread to many countries of the world, this ministry, and in Australia it became an organised, uh, it became organised. Now you'll find them at the forefront of natural disasters, they're at the forefront of the bushfires, the floods. Uh, they're on the tips of every Christian and non-Christian's tongues here. Uh, most of you know who I'm talking about. Those pioneers were William and Catherine Booth and that, uh, that organisation is the Salvation Army or the Salvos, as us Aussies love to do. So the first part of the Salvos mission statement is this. We share the love of Jesus by caring for people. Now, I didn't know that when we came up with this. But I think it's a good reflection of what the Salvos are about, and they're, they're fulfilling that mission. Uh, as followers of Jesus, we should be people who care. In fact, uh, their vision statement, that was their mission statement, their vision statement is wherever there is hardship or injustice, injustice, salvos will live, love and fight alongside others to transform Australia one life at a time with the love of Jesus. Isn't that lovely? I think that's wonderful. And I think in many respects it aligns with what uh, we've uh, been talking about. But as followers of Jesus, caring should be integral to who we are and what we do. And this morning we're going to see three things from this passage and, and really the, the two, two chapters preceding it, but I'm not going to delve deeply into those. But three things about a person who cares for others because of the love uh, of Jesus in them. Well, firstly, we'll see people who care see clearly. Secondly, people who care feel deeply. And thirdly, people who care harvest intentionally. So have a look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36 again. I'll just read those. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. 
when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, people who care in the name of Jesus see clearly. And this passage comes from an extended period of Jesus caring. In chapters 5, 6, 7, we've got the Sermon of the Mount, on the Mount. Jesus is teaching and proclaiming and really laying the foundation of everything that his ministry is about. And then in chapters 8 and 9, we see that practical outworking of all that teaching as he starts uh, to go into uh, the towns and villages. In chapter 8, verse 1, it says this, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, that's after preaching the Sermon on the Mount, large crowds followed him. See, this passage comes at this extended period of Jesus caring. So if you have a look at chapters 8 and 9, and I'm just going to quickly summarise, we see that Jesus is seeing need and he's meeting need because he cares. And when I just read these out, the, the impact of chapters 8 and 9 is that they really are a narrative that just keeps going and going and going. This event happens, then this event happens, then this event happens, and it just seems to go on. And it may have only been one or two days which they were all in. See, in, at the beginning of chapter 8, we see a man with leprosy kneel before Jesus, and Jesus is willing to make him clean. Then a centurion comes to him whose servant is suffering terribly from being paralysed. Jesus then heals him. Jesus arrives at Peter's house and Peter's mother-in-law has a fever. Jesus heals her. In the evening, many possessed with demons were brought to him. He drove them away, the demons away. Uh, crowds gathered so he gets into a boat and sleeps from exhaustion. A storm threatens the lives of all his disciples. He gets up and calms the storm with a word. He arrives at the other side of a lake and two violent men possessed uh, with a legion, multiple demons, confront him. He heals them and drives the demons out. He steps back into a boat and goes back to his home, own town. A paralytic is laid before him on his mat. Jesus forgives his sin and then heals him. A synagogue leader kneels before him says, my daughter has just died. Jesus goes to bring her back to life. And on the way there, a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years just touches him. And he stops and he looks for her. And he heals her. He says, your faith has healed you. He then continues on to the synagogue leader's daughter and he raises her from the dead. Two blind men call him out. He touches their eyes and heals them. And then immediately a demon-possessed man who couldn't talk was brought to Jesus and Jesus drives the demon out. And then in the middle of the, all that, in, in chapter 9, verses, uh, verses 10, uh, to 10 to 13, we have Jesus calling Matthew, a tax collector, to follow him and then going to his house to have dinner with the tax collectors and sinners. And the people... Uh, and we were told that he was despised by the religious leaders. So he was having dinner with the untouchables, the people who weren't accepted within the culture in which Jesus was ministering, let alone the religion that Jesus was ministering on behalf. 
They were unclean. They were thinking if he was religious enough, he, would expo- he wouldn't expose himself to the filth if he really believed in this religion that he says he does. And then Jesus says to, says to them in this in verse 12 of chapter 9, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, Jesus is saying the very purpose, his very purpose is to get amongst the downright dirty sinners in order to care for them, to bring healing both physically and spiritually. Maybe not in that order. Spiritually and physically. See, Jesus doesn't avoid this. He doesn't pretend it's not there. He says that's the whole point of the gospel. The whole point of bringing good news is to bring healing to people. And the great thing about the good news is it brings true healing. That's the whole point. Forgiveness for sin. Restoration of the physical body, whether it's in this life or the next. See, Jesus doesn't avoid that. He's not overwhelmed by it. He recognises that there is need everywhere. In fact, just bring people and there is great need. That's the sin problem. Notice at the end of chapter 9, and I'll read it again, all this frenetic period is summed up like this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. I want this to be really clear. When we talk about caring, we aren't just talking about meeting physical needs. It is a recognition that we need people to hear the gospel and have spiritual healing through the forgiveness of sins. That's why it's listed first, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. But it doesn't come with just words, just as James says. Don't say be warm and well-fed. Don't just say there's good news. There needs to be a follow-up so that it's in action as well. And in many respects, uh, the, 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 the preaching of the gospel and the healing and the meeting of physical needs, they go hand in hand. Because for Jesus, really, the miracles that he was performing were to show that he had the authority to forgive sins. We come in his name. And so we clearly see what's in front of us and bring care into the lives of the people who need it, both for spiritual and physical reasons. Jesus cared. He saw clearly. And the point is that Jesus didn't just wait back for them to come, but notice what it says. Jesus went through all the towns and villages. He went looking for people, knowing that all he had to do was go into the world and that's where the need is. But often we don't do this 
because we don't want to see it. We actually don't want to see clearly. We don't want to accept the fact that the world needs what we have. And so the danger is we don't want to see the world for who they are. We don't want to see ourselves for who they are. So we might be willing to flush a few pep talks up or some positive affirmations like the world does without really accepting the reality that the problem we're encountering is a sin problem, whether it's spiritual or physical. And the only answer to that is the gospel, both in word and deed. Now, as you know, I, I ministered up in Kununurra, up in the Kimberley, for a number of years. And the thing that they talk about uh, between the different cultures, white culture, black culture, it's okay, I can say that, is that black culture, so the indigenous people, they live outwardly. You see what their needs are. You see what their struggles are. But us white fellas, we put it all behind closed doors. We just shut the door and the same thing happens. I spoke to a policeman, a Christian policeman, he goes, same thing. It's just one's behind closed doors, one's lived outwardly. So it's so much easier to come and judge one and not judge the other. Same needs. Why? Because the human heart is the same through all cultures. And the same solution is for all cultures. It is the gospel. And so we minister into it. But if you're not willing to go and ask the questions and open up the world to yourself and recognise the need is there, then we'll just keep ministering to ourselves and we'll put a, we'll put a sign up out the front. Care, need, if you need care, come between the office hours of Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, 9 to 12. And we'll just wait for them to come. And I guess what, guess what? They're not coming. This is why it says Jesus went. He went. See, people who care in the name of Jesus see clearly because they are looking. Well, the second thing that our passage shows us is that people who care in the name of Jesus feel deeply. Have a look at verse 36 again. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, he could see what they needed and he knew what they needed. But look at his response. He had compassion on them. Now this word in the original, it describes a moving of the very inward being of the self. It is a gut-wrenching change. It is something that affects you so much that you are driven to action. That is what this compassion is talking about. Jesus felt deeply. He feels deeply. God feels deeply. It matters to him. He is emotional. Jesus, looking upon the crowd, all coming to him with their need for healing, for wholeness, for forgiveness, for acceptance, he is moved and he continues to minister and he goes because he knows that the only thing that they need, just as the only thing both cultures in the Kimberley need, the only thing that all the cultures in Sydney need, the African, the Asian continents, 
The only thing that the whole world needs is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the only thing that can bring forgiveness for sin. It's the only thing that can reconcile you to God. It is the only thing that will release you from your captivity and set the prisoners free as Jesus talked about. And in doing that, the love of Christ should permeate through his believers to meet the physical needs. One of the things that I, uh, that when, when I went on a short-term mission to India, uh, one of the things that was a real issue in India at the time, this is, this is 12 years ago, but the government would often come and just build, spend all this money on a massive Hindu temple for their town or their village or whatever it was. Meanwhile, they're all living in poverty. They haven't got clean water. They haven't, they kept, they're dying from disease. But the big religious Hindu temple sits there to say, this is what you should be doing. So the Christians, it was quite easy in many respects, they had a deep longing to see the need fulfilled. So they would come in and bring clean water, dig clean wells, figure out how to meet the needs of the community. And I tell you, the impact that that has is that people see the contrast with the world and with how we are. That's one part. And following through that is the word. Because I tell you, when I became a Christian, I just wanted to know why my mates who I was playing soccer with treated people differently. Why did you treat them differently? Well, let me tell you the good news. See, by going into the world and being Christ's ambassador through meeting needs, you open up this great opportunity for the word. But it's all because you need to feel deeply. You need to be moved by a need. I've got a friend who is deeply moved by the trafficking of children for the sex trade. She commits her life in ministry to trying to, to trying to break something in that. Does it feel overwhelming? Of course it does. The statistics are staggering and we should all be moved by that. Anything to do with children in that realm should move us deeply. And unfortunately, churches have been exposed to be so much at the centre of that over the last 50 years. For the last year, I've spent my time in administration to put all these things in place simply because we did not care about the oppressed. I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about churches who claim the name of Jesus. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. So there's a royal commission into the institutional abuse of children. And now we're being strangled in many respects of our freedom of ministry. But don't complain about that because of the human heart it's because of the problem and so we persevere in that and we should care about that and we should be doing more than what perhaps the church has shown at times in the past see but we need to feel deeply how often do we feel for the others and are driven to do something how much do you know about our local community how much have you been moved by some of the needs? Last year, there was a, uh, 
a young family who's, uh, or the dad was my age, uh, died of cancer. I met with her and it was one of those moments where you just go, that, what, what if that was my family? So you need to do something in response to that. And the greatest thing we can do is meet needs, care for that person, love them, continue on in that with a hope that one day they will see the greatest need is their need for the forgiveness of sin. See, people who care, they see clearly, they feel deeply, but this all comes together by harvesting intentionally. We don't just build wells. We don't just give Toblerones. We don't just give flowers. I'm not saying that's what we do here. We do give those things. But those things on their own are nice. But we need to be intentional in recognising the true deep need of people, which is to know their saviour. Have a look at verses 37 and 38. Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And then, at the beginning of chapter 10, he calls his 12 disciples, and he gives them authority and sends them out, both to meet the needs of the people and to proclaim the kingdom of God. See, seeing clearly and feeling deeply should move us to harvest intentionally. Jesus is basically seeing all this need and now he's gathering a, a, a leadership team together, if you like, or a, you know, a church together, the first 12 disciples. And notice he tells them first and foremost to pray for workers. Prayer. This isn't our strength, this is God's work. Pray. One of the best things we have is our 9.15am prayer meeting every Sunday downstairs. Come along. It's great to just pray with each other, recognising that that is the work of the Lord. Ministry is the reward. You do the work in prayer. Are we praying for our community? Are we praying for God to open our eyes to the need? Are we praying that God will equip us in order to go into the world and proclaim him and to meet the needs, the ravages of sin and bring some sort of relief from them. How easy it is, however, to sit back in our pews and pray for others to be called to the work. Don't, don't miss the irony here. Jesus says, go and pray for workers. What's happening in the next verse? Oh, guess what? You're the workers. I'm preparing you now to go. I think this is why we don't pray, because we're too afraid that perhaps we're the ones who are called to go. Oh, yes, Lord, please uh, find people from the Anglican church over the, over the highway. They seem like nice people. We'll be the praying people. They can be the caring people. Oh, or maybe we can just outsource to the salvos. The salvos, they're great. They've already got the structures in place. We'll pray for them to be raised up. We're not praying just for people to preach. 
We're praying for harvesters. This is relational. This is people who care. This is the church. Caring is the core characteristic, the love of God in action. But notice how intentional this is. Once again, Jesus sends them. He doesn't say, hey, look, we're just going to build a building. We're just going to make it all fancy. And hopefully, they will come. What's that movie? Kevin Costner? If you build it, they will come. Big baseball stadium, I think it was. I can't remember the name of it. That's not how the kingdom works. Field of dreams. Thank you, Robert. It's not how the kingdom of God works. Because the people, not the building, is what the kingdom is. This is why Jesus literally says in the Great Commission in chapter 28 of the same book here in Matthew, he says, in your going, make disciples. In your going. Keep your eyes, keep your ears open. Keep your eyes open, keep your ears open, yes. In your workplaces, in your schools, in your communities, from your neighbours, listen, hear the need. See what the, ask the questions, how are you going? Are you okay days every day for a Christian? Are you okay? What's going on in your life? Just scratch the surface and I can tell you I have a privileged position as a pastor. People will open up to me might be a little harder for you. You might have to spend a little more time building relationship. But you don't have to scratch very hard on all of us to recognise that there is a need and that need can only be met through the forgiveness that comes through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Intentionality is critical. This isn't a random, oh, let's just hope it happens. And so one of the things we do have this year is a new missions team. Praise God for raising up Mel. I met with her during the week. We're forming the team. And that will work hand in hand with all the other teams. Mission is the core of the church, not a program on the side. And you'll hear this over and over this year, trust me. Mission is not a program on the side of the church. It's the core of the church. Every program should have mission as its centre. Now, it might not be overtly obvious, but the intentional harvesting should be at its core. So care. We are people who care. And our vision is to be a caring community. Ooh. It's a bit confronting really, isn't it? So what I've done this week, and I'm going to do it most weeks, is over these next five weeks, sorry, what we'll do is we're going to start brainstorming and we're going to start praying and thinking through these things with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to start really thinking intentionally about how we can become this. And so scattered around are those sheets. I don't know if you've looked at them yet. It's probably the only thing you've been reading during the sermon and you haven't listened to anything else. That's why I don't put sheets on the table, uh, chairs normally, but I've put them there and they've got three questions on them. Two questions and two parts to the second question. In what ways can we go into our local community and see more clearly? How? What are some ideas in how we can get involved or get out there and, and, and see what's going on? And secondly, what needs are you already aware of? 
in, in our local community that you would like to see our church minister into? And then I would like you to pray through some practical ways the church could minister into these needs. And this all has great purpose because at the end of this year, by the end of this year, we're going to have a three-year strategic plan for the church that flows out of our vision and mission statements. And then we're going to set a program to become the church that we envisage ourselves to be. And this time, I really want you to reflect on these questions, to think about your community, to get out there, to pray, to ask God, the Lord of the harvest, where is it that we are to harvest? Perhaps it's people with disabilities, perhaps it's uh, minority groups, perhaps it's certain ethnicities, perhaps it's children, perhaps it's people in workplace. I don't know. Everything's up for grabs. I want you to be praying through this. And as you think of those things, you can use those sheets or write it down or email, whatever you want to do. You can pop sheets in the offering box, which is in the foyer. You can send me emails. You can send Stephanie emails, whatever it is. And over time, you can send the elders emails, actually, because it's the elders will collate all these. And then over time, we will pray through these and we'll work towards Looking at, and you know what, I, I'm looking forward to seeing where the Holy Spirit is working within our community. You'd be surprised that there'll be things that are on all of our hearts or a big part of our hearts or whatever it might be, and, and certain areas will start coming to the surface. And we can continue to pray and put those in place and think about how we can strategically and intentionally harvest through caring for the people not just in our church, but in the world around us. Let me commit that to you and ask you to be active in that. And I look forward to see what God's going to do through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who is slow to anger, compassionate, that you are abounding in love, Father God, we thank you that you have called us to be a caring community, to be the, the, the gospel livers as well as the gospel proclaimers. Father God, as we begin to think through the areas of our world and our community which we can have a great impact in, Father, open our eyes, direct us, guide us through your Holy Spirit. Give us a unity in this, Lord. Help us to go with great confidence that you have a work right there for us. We just have to open our eyes and see clearly. We just have to intentionally look and ask you to show us clearly. And we ask that now, Lord. Father God, I pray for our community. I pray that the needs in it will be met by your people, whether it's our church or other churches. But right now, Lord, we pray to open our eyes so that we can impact this world with your kingdom, with your gospel, and with your love. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.